to the Scientific American Podcast Science Talk, posted on April 26th, 2012. I'm Steve Mursky. On this episode... He's the most famous latrine builder in the world. That's Scientific American editor Christine Gorman. She recently attended the Association of Healthcare Journalists Conference in Atlanta. Be warned, some of what you're about to hear is not for the squeamish. We spoke at the Scientific American offices. So at this conference, Jimmy Carter and his wife, Rosalind Carter, were sort of headliners. That's correct. Former President Jimmy Carter and his wife, Rosalind, were headliners at the Association of Healthcare Journalists Conference, which um, took place in Atlanta. Of course, that's, you know, prime stomping grounds for the Carters. The Carter Center is there. And it was very interesting because I hadn't really thought very much about uh, the Carters, um, well, <laughs> in a very long time. And I was surprised and pleasantly so um, just to hear the way they talked about global health issues. That was, of course, um, Jimmy Carter's focus and um, and the way Rosalind Carter talked about mental health. Of course, she's been known to be a champion of mental health issues for a very long time. But hearing them in person, I was just struck by their dedication. And Jimmy Carter has been specifically involved in this battle to eradicate a particular tropical disease. That's right. Jimmy Carter has been involved in the battle to eradicate uh, what's called guinea worm. It's a parasitic worm that uh, burrows into people and is found uh, in contaminated water. Um, the Technologically speaking, the way to get rid of it is to filter water and make sure everybody um, strains the water that the eggs are, are laid in. But um, easier said than done, shall we say. And so uh, 30-some years ago when the Carter Center uh, got involved in this, they were looking for projects where they could have an impact but um, in which uh, other organizations like the World Health Organization and others maybe weren't uh, trying to do anything because it seemed too difficult even though the solutions were were straightforward, and uh, guinea worm is one of those because it affects people in, you know, in the back of the beyond, in in the rural areas, uh, where you you basically end up having to walk to. You can't even always drive in a four by four, and uh, they were able to um, do such a terrific job that now uh, guinea worm is practically uh, on the cusp of being eradicated. I think one of the things that was I was most impressed by. I mean, you hear a lot of people doing good deeds, and so you you can get a little um, do-gooder fatigue. But one thing that Jimmy Carter talked about that uh, rang a rang a, a bell with me was the um, uh, they didn't call it the Carter Initiative to eradicate guinea worm. They talk about Global 2000, I think is the name they've given it, so that when they go into different countries, they can get buy-in from the leadership of that country and the local president or whomever can say, my program to eradicate guinea worm. And as a result, um, it's the old adage, uh, you can get a lot done if you don't care who takes credit for it. Um, and so uh, guinea worm is, has nearly been eradicated and quite possibly will be eradicated before polio is, making it the, the second um, Human disease after smallpox, an infectious disease that's been eradicated in the in the world. Did we talk about what specific areas the the guinea worm efforts took place in? 
Um, the, the biggest area is um, sub-Saharan Africa for uh, Guinea worm eradication, but there are other places as well. Let's take just a moment. Uh, people might not fully appreciate the horror of this Guinea worm infection. It's right out of a sci-fi movie. I mean, the Guinea worm is special. So maybe if you're particularly sensitive, you don't want to listen to this part of the the podcast, but uh, guinea worm truly is one of those horrific parasites. They uh, At some point, they have to get out of the body, and as they're emerging from the body, a process that can take upwards of 30 days, that can be quite painful. And um, so uh, but Jimmy Carter talked about one of the first times he ever saw this in real life many years ago. Um, they were in a, a small village in sub-Saharan Africa, and he went over to a woman who was carrying what he thought was a baby. You know, I guess all politicians have to uh, check out the babies <laughs> and, cause for the photo op or whatever. And when he got over to the woman, he realized that it wasn't a baby she was carrying. It was one of her breasts, and out of the nipple was coming a, a guinea worm. And um, she was in excruciating pain. In fact, over the course of the next several months, um, 11 different worms came out of, of her body. And, uh, and these things are like as thick as a finger. That's about the right size. It's just, just a little um, narrower than that. And um, Feet long, maybe. Oh, yes, absolutely. Feet long, feet long. And uh, in fact, so much so that a lot of people are malnourished because the the worm is taking uh, so much of, of whatever um, uh, vitamins and calories that, that they consume. Interesting, and I haven't had a chance to check this yet, but uh, Mr. Carter was talking about the you know the snakes and the in the caduceus the the sign for um, uh, a pharmacy or or medicine since ancient times, those aren't actually snakes around that staff. He says that the the origin of that image is guinea worms around a stick because that's the way that. As I mentioned, naturally the worms, it'll take about 30 days for them to come completely out of the body. But if by taking the head of one of these worms and or the end that comes out and then uh, putting it around a stick, you can, in essence, pull the worm out. You can't pull it out all at once, but you can pull it out and, it, and you might shave at least a week off of the time it takes to, to get the worm out. And that's the origin of the that medical sign that we're also familiar with. Well, that is truly gruesomely horrible. So now you can come back to listening to, to the podcast. It really is, though. So they also discussed a public health technique that's really good at getting rid of trachoma, which is this infection spread by flies that causes blindness. It's digging pit latrines and so forth and making sure that um, people have a place to, to go to the bathroom. They don't have to go out in the open, what's called open defecation. Um, and in fact, uh, uh, former President Carter made a joke about being famous as more famous nowadays for, uh, for having built, I think he said something like over, uh, 
500,000 latrines or something like that. I don't know if that was per year or in total. Um, he was more famous for being, he's the most famous latrine builder in the world and maybe more famous for building latrines than he was for the Camp David Accords. I would imagine you, you also get a cascade of positive health benefits by having the sanitary conditions installed. Is there any evidence that they've also improved other conditions there? Well, yes, there's plenty of evidence that by uh, building uh, latrines, you can have other positive impacts. But one that a lot of people wouldn't have thought of is the amazing um, ability of having uh, latrines um, really helps uh, with women's education, with girls' education, which um, you'd say, well, what do latrines have to do with, with girls staying in school or doing well in school? That's because we're used to going to the bathroom inside. But if you can imagine a young girl, if the only place to go to the bathroom is outside and you're living in an area where there are a lot of people and, you know, kids or older men see you going to the bathroom, you're much more vulnerable. Uh, there's the whole issue. Your family might not want you to go away um, to school if there isn't a bathroom. Uh, and this is this has been shown up until about um, menstruation. Girls will go to, you know, elementary school and so forth and so on. But then once they start menstruating, then that's a whole nother layer in addition to having to relieve themselves of uh, having to, to deal with their um, monthly blood flow. And it's embarrassing. It makes them vulnerable to attack. And so um, having latrines is one of the, the essential ingredients to increasing girls' education. It's amazing. So it just initiates a whole social order in a society. Uh, having latrines is a, there's a, a positive virtuous cycle there that, that happens. And it's, uh, you know, it, it's, we, we talk about bathroom humor because talking about bathrooms and relieving yourself is, is sort of embarrassing and yucky, but, um, it's really the, the foundation of a lot of civilization. So, uh, and Rosalind Carter has long been, uh, associated with mental health efforts. Yes, so Rosalind Carter has been uh, linked to mental health efforts for decades, and uh, at the um, the meeting of the Association of Healthcare Journalists in Atlanta, she talked about the beginnings of that, and that goes that dates back to when her husband uh, Jimmy Carter was running for um, governor in the state of Georgia, and as Rosalind was going around, you know. Uh, uh, campaigning for her husband, uh, she kept hearing people coming up and saying, well, what what are you going to do about uh, mental health? And the reason they were asking was because the, the governor at the time had just signed into law uh, a law that opened up all the state um, psychiatric hospitals. And as it turned out, there was no place for the um, former state psychiatric patients to go. And it was a huge need. And a lot of people, um, families of those who were in the hospitals and others were very upset that there was a law to shut down the hospitals, which was good because horrible things were happening there. But there was no provision for what to do with the people who came out. And, and that was the beginning of her interest in mental health.
she was discussing specifically some of the problems with getting mental health appreciated, uh, mental health treatment appreciated on the same level as what we just take for granted. Uh, for example, insurance coverage of physical ailments, but if you're suffering from depression or anything else that, you know, uh, schizophrenia and you need mental health coverage, it's, it can be a whole different story. That's right. So the, the code words for what you're talking about, um, it, it's a phrase called mental health parity. The idea that uh, there should be equivalent coverage that if you um, have a mental health problem or issue or mental health disease, really, that it should be covered just as if you broke a bone or, you know, had cancer or something like that, um, treatment should be covered. And so when you think about some of the big mental health disorders, uh, depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, bipolar disease, um, it's interesting. Uh, Rosalind Carter was talking about how uh, you try to educate people about them and what they have found and there have been a few studies now, I, this I wasn't aware of, that the more people learn about anxiety and depression, not necessarily that they have it, but they learn about the conditions, they're more sympathetic to folks with anxiety and depression. But something different happens. The more people learn about schizophrenia and bipolar disease, they actually become more fearful of, of those conditions and people with those conditions. So it makes it very hard to figure out how to educate uh, folks about schizophrenia and, and bipolar. There was one other thing that uh, Rosalind Carter talked about, um, and that's after a lot of, of uh, advocacy work on her part and the part of many others, a law was passed in 2008 um, providing mental health parity so that there would be coverage for um, serious mental disorders the way there is for serious physical conditions. And as you know, in you, I mean, it's first in some ways passing a law is just the first step because then you need certain rules and regulations to put the law into effect, and none of that has happened. Those rules have not been uh, promulgated since 2008. So uh, she seemed very discouraged about that and and didn't know really what else to do. She, you know, has been calling the White House and uh, has not uh, gotten the response that she would have hoped for. And, and and the interviewer at the conference was very funny. He he looked kind of to uh, former President Jimmy Carter and said, "Well, you know, you used to be president. Uh, can't you can't you call the White House and say, look, you got to do something?" And and Jimmy Carter laughed, and he said, they'll take my wife's calls, he was saying, <laughs> and so implying that they wouldn't take his. So I think uh, a lot of us were quite surprised to learn that, which, you know, in a room full of journalists um, in general, and health journalists in particular, the fact that you could surprise uh, several hundred people about such a huge issue that a law that was passed in 2008 still hasn't been implemented on mental health says something about us in the audience as well, that we have not been paying as much attention to mental health issues as we probably should have been. We'll be back right after this word from Carrie Smith at The Nature Podcast. On The Nature Podcast this week, organic and inorganic farming battle it out. A long-running study of development comes of age and experiments on the edge of acceptability. 
Just go to www.nature.com slash podcast. Our editors try to get to as many scientific conferences as they can. Tune back in tomorrow for a briefing from Kate Wong, who's back from the annual meeting of the American Association of Physical Anthropologists in Portland, Oregon. We'll talk about killer chimps and funny feet. For Scientific American Science Talk, I'm Steve Mursky. Thanks for clicking on us.